All right, so, yeah, welcome to church. This is church. We're together in Jesus' name. It's awesome. Uh, and the rain is holding off, even though, you know, it said it was going to hold off. And then I looked at 9, and it said 100% chance at 10. Hold <laughs> a little switcheroo, but so far, it's been okay. Um, but we should start so that that doesn't turn... You know, okay. Uh, today we'll be in Matthew chapter 28. If you have a Bible or an app, go ahead and turn to there. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna read verses 17 through 20, and then we'll pray and, and get started. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 28, starting in verse. I'm gonna start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that where two or three or more are gathered, you are there. And so we know you're with us right now in Cal Anderson Park, in Capitol Hill, on a windy, almost rainy Seattle day. Thank you that so many have come, Lord. And uh, we want to follow in your disciples' footsteps as they, as they set out to make disciples of the entire world. And as this commission remains in effect, uh, help us, Lord, to align ourselves with your purpose. Speak to us by your word, in the name of Jesus, by your spirit, in in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so today, for the month of June, we're going to be chatting and talking and thinking about this. The Great Commission. Uh, the series is called One for All. Um, Jesus and the Four Alls of the Great Commission. If, if you notice, Jesus said the word all in some form four times. Uh, in this commission. And so we're going to spend four weeks kind of taking a look at each one. First, all authority. Jesus has all authority. And then he says, make disciples of all nations. And then he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lastly, behold, I am with you always. So we're going to spend four weeks taking a look at that. And it's great because this is a chance as individuals and as a church to check our priorities as we emerge from this pandemic. Things are opening up. We can gather. You guys are right next to each other. Yeah. I know we're outside, but it's exciting, right? It's really exciting, but it's also kind of overwhelming. And so uh, it's good to be able to take a chance, take a, take a month and just examine what our priorities are. And are they Jesus' priorities? 
And so today we'll be looking at how Jesus claims all authority. And I've noticed in the last few weeks and month or two, there's something in the air. It seems like both inside the church and outside the church, just in the culture as a whole, there's discontentment with the way things are, even with the way things were pre-pandemic. People are considering a lot of changes. People are considering switching things up. There's, there's a chance as we emerge to sort of reevaluate what you want to prioritize in life. Many people are considering life changes or career changes or at the very least hair color changes. It seems as if this time is giving us all people everywhere the chance to reevaluate. We're asking questions about purpose. What am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing? What kind of lasting impression am I supposed to leave? on this planet why am I not feeling satisfied in life and I think those are questions we all have had to ask in times past but the unusual thing is that we're all asking them simultaneously because we've all been through a similar thing together as as an entire planet we've all come through the same thing and now as we emerge we're, we're all kind of asking ourselves questions big questions So this could be a beautiful thing, especially if it leads us to more rightly and fully center our lives on Jesus Christ. Hence why this four-week series is timely, a chance to realign our personal mission statement with Jesus' mission statement. So in this season of re-evaluating things, we need to include questions like these. Do I believe Jesus is alive? Do I believe Jesus is who he said he is? And if Jesus has all authority in general, does Jesus have all authority in my life? Can he ask anything of me? Thinking through these questions can lead to new questions and new doubts and new times of wrestling. You might believe Jesus is alive and he is who he said he is and place your faith in him once again. But then he he asks you to take a step of faith, trusting him. What then? Is he still worth it? it? Is it safe to go out on a limb for Jesus? Here Jesus claims all authority in heaven and on earth. And he uses this claim to base his commission. Jesus felt he had something to give to everyone everywhere. His authority is the basis for obedience to this command. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Go therefore. You know, because I have been given all authority, you can go and should go. But notice... And this is where I want to spend the first little bit today. Notice his audience in verse 17. It says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Ah, I love the Bible. It just, it doesn't pull any punches. Here are Jesus' 11 
disciples, the eleven, his most faithful followers. And they're literally looking at Jesus face to face in his glorified, resurrected, never to die again body. And they're about to receive the universal mission to make disciples of the entire planet. And some of them doubt it. You'd think Matthew would have left that out. But he didn't. He left it in. And I think for our encouragement. So we're going to walk through five reasons why we might experience doubt when wrestling with whether to give Jesus all authority over our lives. Then we're going to look at three resources Jesus offers us when we do give Him this authority. So some doubt it. Of course, when we 21st century Americans think of the word doubt, you know, we think of intellectual wrestling or intellectual dissonance. Questions like, does God exist? And if He exists, can we know Him? You know, how could Jesus be both God and man? Uh, if Jesus is the only way, you know, why are his followers so annoying? <laughs> Qu- questions like that. And of course, this word can include those types of doubts, those intellectual, you know, empirical doubts. But there's another word for doubt that Matthew could have used, and he didn't. He only uses this word for doubt twice. And that's the, those are the only two times this word for doubt is used in the entire New Testament. Let me tell you about the only other time he uses this word. So just after Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, uh, he goes away. He's like, okay, I got to take a break and go be with my father. And so he goes away and his disciples get into the boat. And so they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And then comes a storm. And they're just hacking away at the oars, trying to bail themselves out, freaking out. It's the middle of the night. They look out on the water and they see somebody walking on the water. And they think it's a ghost. So they freak out. They say, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take heart. It is I. And so Jesus, or sorry, Peter, this is where the intellectual doubt comes in for Peter. He says, okay, Jesus, if it's you, Command me to come out on the water and walk on the water with you. He's sort of testing this ghost to see if it's really Jesus. And so Jesus says, come. And so Peter has to put his his money where his mouth is and step out onto the water. And he does. He walks on top of the water with Jesus. Crazy. But then the storm is still going on. There's waves lapping and wind blowing. And it's in the Matthew 14, it says, When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And then he had to cry out, Lord, save me as he's falling into the water. And Jesus reaches out his hand. He grabs him. He pulls him up. But at the same time, he says, why did you doubt? And so this wasn't a, at the, this moment, it wasn't an intellectual doubt Peter had. He was literally walking on the water with Jesus. He knew it was Jesus. He knew where he was. And yet the wind and the waves and the storm overcame his faith in Jesus and he doubted. So for Peter in that moment, it was a wavering of faith. 
It was a hesitation. It was not necessarily knowing for sure if Jesus was powerful enough to sustain him in this storm. And so it's the same word here in verse 17. These folks, like I said, were literally looking at Jesus, resurrected. But some of them doubted. Some of them wavered. Some of them hesitated and whether or not they wanted to fully commit. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you might relate with these guys. You're quite sure Jesus is alive, that he has all authority, that he deserves all authority. But when it comes to a specific and unique calling for your life, you hesitate. I can relate with that. You know, is Jesus worth it? Do I dare take up his calling for my life? Let's look at five reasons that we might do that in hand, before we hand Jesus all the authority over our lives. The first one is these intellectual doubts, these empirical doubts, like with doubting Thomas. You know, in John, John chapter 20, Thomas famously says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Jesus meets Thomas where he's at. He shows him all that he wanted to see, the scars in his hands, the scar in his side. But then Jesus says something that comforts me and should comfort all y'all who have believed in Jesus based on the eyewitness testimony of people like Thomas. Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about me. That's cool. He's talking about you. If you've put your trust in Jesus based on eyewitness testimony alone, not being able to put your fingers in his scars. So these are the kind of doubts that are understandable, that are worth looking at, that are worth wrestling through. And there are plenty of resources to deal with these kinds. You know, whether you're wrestling with the physical bodily resurrection of Christ or another more typical intellectual issue such as, you know, the problem of an all-powerful and yet all-good God who allows sin and suffering in the world. All these kinds of questions are valid and, and worth looking at. But the key is not letting these kinds of doubts become excuses to not explore further, to not look into the answers, to not go where the questions lead you. If Jesus resurrected from the dead, which, by the way, is an entirely reasonable belief based on evidence, then all of these other questions are worth delving into, honestly and robustly. Just ask me, just ask Justin. Um, plenty of resources to look into these types of questions. And, and the great thing is, it's in wrestling with these that you become more equipped to share any answers you gain with those in your life who are asking similar questions. So, first we have those empirical questions and doubts. But second, why else might we hesitate to hand Jesus all the authority in our lives? The second one I want to just mention is sin. You might be entangled with some sin or a way of life that contradicts the way of Jesus and you don't want to quit. That's understandable. Sin is deceitful. It's, it, it's like the author of Hebrews says, 
It entangles us. And our culture tells us that we can be satisfied in life if we just give in to what we want to do. But the author of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely or easily entangles us. And then let us run with endurance, which means the long haul, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You have to answer the question, is Jesus worth laying this aside for? He either is or he isn't. So, we got those empirical doubts. We got sin. Thirdly, you might hesitate to hand him all the authority in your life because of the church. I meet a lot of people these days that are just annoyed at the church. And I, I get that. Whether it's you know disunity in the church at large, locally, frustration with church. This is something Jesus cares about as well. And it's almost as if he knew what was coming in church history because one of the last recorded prayers of Jesus is him praying desperately for unity with the church. Unity in the church. And that's a prayer we can enter into with him. See John chapter 17 for more on that. A fourth reason we might hesitate, we might waver, is just our own expectations of how life is supposed to go. We live in America. We believe in the American dream. And so we think throughout our life, we, we expect a, a certain trajectory. You know, we expect comfort. We expect a lack of suffering, a gradual and increasing amount of ease and relaxation culminating in retirement. We expect to get married. We expect to own a house. We expect to have a family of four and a successful, fulfilling, but not too stressful career. And we expect to have more wealth than our parents. But what if following Jesus means surrendering one or all of those things? Will Jesus still be worth it? There's a verse in Acts, similar time to this Great Commission, where Jesus is about to ascend into the clouds and to be with His Father at the right hand. And the, the disciples are there and, you know, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, they say, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So right up until the last second before Jesus ascends to the Father, their expectations were on the wrong path. They're like, okay, now is the time to fight. You know, now is the time to overthrow Rome. Are we doing this? You know, you resurrected from the dead, right? Let's go. They're ready. They had these expectations of what following Jesus was going to culminate in. And those expectations either had to be changed or they had to not follow. They had to decide not to hand in the reins. And that can be true of our life as well. You know, as we, as we go throughout this life, we're going to have a lot of chances. We're going to have a lot of forks in the road of whether or not we're going to give Jesus that authority. So lastly, back to Peter in Matthew 14, these, these storms of life. You know, we're out on the water with him. 
We're out on a limb for Jesus. And the storms come. You know, times of suffering, times of, of just jarring situations, uh, a shaking of our very core and foundations of our faith, these do happen. Can Jesus handle them? You know, can He sustain me through suffering? Can He sustain me even though He's not taking the suffering away? Is He worth holding on to in the midst of real suffering? And we all know it's not going to be just one of these things. And of course, there's, there's scores of, of other types of things that can come in and, and cause hesitation. But it's, it's not going to just be one thing. It's going to be a mix of things. You know, it's, it's going to be mental doubts. It's going to be emotional doubts. It's going to be gut feelings that add up. And they cause us to question our allegiance to Jesus, our allegiance to the way of Jesus, or to ultimately choose against giving Jesus authority over our lives. And as disciples of Him, we, we do get to decide again and again whether Jesus has the authority in every area of our lives. You know, we're going to have somewhere between several and many major forks in the road to, to make this decision. But also we're going to have somewhere between thousands and a million minor forks in the road. And even more daily, you know, forks in the road on whether we're going to just open our hands and submit to His Lordship over our lives. And the beauty of the Great Commission, the beauty of Jesus' invitation here is that even though Jesus had these disciples in attendance who doubted, who wavered, who hesitated in their commitment or their understanding, you know, He still gave them this commission. You know, he still included them in the invitation to participate. And of course it's important to deal with doubts as they come, but notice Matthew doesn't really address it here. You know, he, he doesn't say, okay, Jesus took them aside, kind of walked them through it again. No, he just acknowledges them and then cuts to Jesus offering the commission. And a lot of times, the way to deal with a season of doubt is just to keep going. It's to keep walking, to keep crawling, to keep looking to Jesus. You know, there was a time in Jesus' ministry when you know, he was making some pretty intense claims. Um, he, in John chapter 6, it's right in the middle of a, a section where Jesus is basically just saying, I'm it, guys. I'm it. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. And then culminating with, I am. <laughs> Taking on the name of God. But right in the middle of that, he's, he's making some pretty intense claims. And, and he lost a lot of followers. Like People were just like, jeez, this is a little much. Like It's a little intense. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, are you guys going to walk away too? He sort of gives them the out. And Peter, love Peter, you know, he said something interesting. He said, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It's like, what other option do I have? And that's, that's about where I usually land on when I'm going through these types of questions. When I, when I am in my times of wavering, my times of doubt, 
There's only one Jesus, and he's the only one who has the words of eternal life. So when we say yes to him having all the authority over our lives, he gives us resources. Let's look at those. There's three resources that we'll look at today that he gives us. First, he gives us his purpose. And this is something I've been, I think, emerging post-pandemic, thinking about, uh, you know, personal mission statement. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? This is something that's really just resonated with me is, you know, I need, I need something to do. I need to really, I need to be able to focus and do something that I find, right, fulfilling, valuable, uh, something to offer. And Jesus's, you know, big, hairy, audacious claim here is connected to a big, hairy, audacious goal to make disciples of every country and ethnicity on earth. And our natural need and desire for God-given, sorry, for purpose is God-given. You know, Jesus, or God puts that in us. A desire to do something that means something. To do something that has lasting value. And in pressing in to Jesus' own personal mission, we get to cut our teeth on the most fulfilling and meaningful mission in history. You know, that doesn't mean we're all going to be, you know, capital M ministers, but it does mean we're all ministers. You know, he's not just talking to the disciples as, you know, one group of people that these are all that are going to do this thing. You know, he's talking to everybody. He's talking to us. In you know, you might be called to work in a building right over there or a, a self-employed business or whatever, but in that place, you know, you're called to, to be about his business. And that primarily means doing a really good job at what you're called to do. But also it means looking for ways to love and serve and bear witness to what you've seen and heard and experienced yourself. As one author puts it, Making disciples of Jesus is the basic activity that should be at the center of everything we do as a person and as a church. And it's worth it. It's a glorious mission with a glorious purpose. So, he gives us his purpose. Secondly, he gives us his practices. Look there, he says, Therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, unlike what the disciples thought was about to happen, a political overthrowing of Rome and, and Israel being set up as, as, you know, back in their glory days, that's not Jesus' practices. That's not His methods. You know, these are, these are not political methods. Baptizing and teaching versus fighting or any other political means. Uh, I like, I think someone's, my brother said it or something, but people need to be taught, not fought. And I think it's good for, good for us to hear that. You know, this, this is a way of life. It's not just doctrine. You know, how did Jesus go about doing his ministry? How does he want us to go about accomplishing this commission to make disciples? 
And I want to just take a little glance at that verse in, uh, there in verse 18 where he says, You know, all authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. Jesus did not seize it. God the Father has given it to Jesus. Why? Because He's the only one who can rightly wield this much power. This rings true from both the Old and New Testament testimonies of Jesus. I just want to read two two passages uh, that get across that Jesus laid His life down and therefore has been exalted. 500 years before Jesus came, Daniel prophesied of him in Daniel chapter 7. He says, he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, God, the father, and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So He was found worthy to receive this much power and authority. And Paul picks up this theme in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says, you know, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then Paul says, therefore, because Jesus did that, because he laid his rights and his life down, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now we're all seeking authorities to submit to and trust. You know, in the last year, just look at how many of us fled the advice of government authorities in exchange for YouTube authorities, or vice versa. We're all desperate to submit to someone we can trust. And yes, Jesus makes a universal claim to authority, even authority over your life. But He deserves it. Just look at Him. Look at how He handled His own divine authority. He laid it down to the point of suffering and death. You know, whenever I get circumspect in my willingness to devote my entire life to Jesus, I only need look at Him. Not only, you know, who He is and what He did, but how He did it. How He does it. He's just so beautiful. He's just, he's just the only person worthy of my trust. My ultimate trust. My the only person worthy to tell me what to do so that I can be fulfilled, so that I can be both fully known and yet fully loved and, and, and stand on Him, go out on a limb for Him because that limb is the most solid thing around. You know, to whom else would I go? He alone has the words of eternal life and we are to imitate Him. You know, 
He's given us His practices. That's why we're called disciples. We're called disciples because we're learning a person. We're not just learning a set of things, a set of beliefs, a set of doctrines. We're learning a person who's alive. Paul says to his followers, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he gives us his purpose, his practices. Thirdly, he gives us his presence. You know, there in verse 20 at the end, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is the best part, that we get to have intimacy with him until the mission is complete. You know, until he either comes back in the same way that he went up, or we die, and we're with him. He doesn't just recruit us. He doesn't just employ us. He promises his empowering and intimate presence by the Holy Spirit. Now this creates both a confidence and a dependence. I'm confident because He's the one who's empowering me. He's the one who's, who set this mission up. He's the one who wants me to do this. It's not my opinion, it's Jesus's. And He's worth it. So confidence, but also dependence. You know, it's not, all, it's not about me. It's not in my power. It's not in my skill set, my talents, my what have you. It's in His power. So we get to have confidence and dependence because He's with us always to the end of the age. So in closing, you know, are you wrestling right now with, with big personal questions? Are you thinking through some major changes you might want to make? Have you included Jesus in this process? You know, for some it might be a, something specific. <laughs> like, you know. Maybe Jesus put this on your heart a year ago. And you're just like, still like, oh, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe it's just recently that he put something on your heart. A change or a calling. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe you're just like... Something's just got to change, you know. Those are, those are both good places to be because they both create a desperation. And I think that's what I would exhort you to do is just be desperate for the Lord. Be desperate for Jesus. Lay yourself down at His feet. Take intentional time to do that. You know, He could be using this season to shape you into more, a more faithful disciple of the King of the universe. What do you say? Amen? Alright, let's pray. God, thank you for... Uh, thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for... Uh, thank you that there's, there's hope. Lord, that things are opening up. That, that life gets to continue. Um, and Lord, I pray for each person here... I pray whatever they're wrestling with, whatever they're questioning, whatever, whatever they're, you know, re-examining, Lord, that you'd show them that you are trustworthy enough to include in this process. And I pray that this season would yield many more hearts than before, 
hearts that are on fire for Jesus. Lord, help us as as Calvary the Hill here on the border of Cal Anderson Park 2021, Lord, help us as a congregation press into your mission more fully, more robustly as we head into the summer and the fall. Lord, give us wisdom. Thank you for your purpose. Thank you for your practices. Thank you for your presence with us. We need you so bad. I need you so bad. The pastors of this church need you so bad. The deacons need you so bad. The future home groups need you you so bad. Lord, we just are desperate for you. Lord, thank you for the daily prayer that's been happening since January. May that continue and continue to bear fruit. May there be even more times of intentional carving out time to just lay ourselves before you and ask for your direction. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all who are here. Please be with us, Lord, and and strengthen us as we go out from this place. And bless our time of worship together and fellowship. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.